Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Yes, because it's a dangerous thing to ask Jesus questions because you might just get found out in the process. Let me, let me say this uh, before we get started. Uh, I know that they do a great job every week, uh, but today, for some reason, I, I was unusually uh, gripped by how authentically our worship leaders worshiped. Um, it just it takes a lot to move this kind of crusty, cynical heart, but it did. It was moved today because I watched as people who either through their singing or through their instruments, worshiped in front of us. And so we were led in the worship in the best possible way. It wasn't a performance. It was, it was worship. And so thank you, guys. Amen. So happy Reformation Sunday. I'm sure all of you have exchanged gifts because it's Reformation Sundays and you know, greeting cards and those kinds of things. But it's a pretty important day. It's a pretty important season. We are, as a church, uh, commemorating, commemorating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, which kicked off, which kicked off when this guy by the name of Martin Luther went and nailed these 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. It was the door of a church that was at a castle. He was, he just had enough. he had had his fill and he said, things need to change. Things need to change. And these are just some of the things that need to change. Hammer, hammer, hammer. And things have never been the same since actually. It's a pretty big deal that we think about. Now, what I want to say to you today is, as a result of this action, as a result of this and other actions that result in what we call the Protestant Reformation, there has been a fracture in the church that is yet to be mended. Now, the, the differentiation is not altogether a bad thing because a lot of the things that, that he was upset about, you and I would be upset about. A lot of those things. But there is a fracture. There is a fracture that we need to take very seriously. There is a fracture amongst people who all call Christ Lord. There is a fracture. There is a, a difference, a differentiation between traditions that we have to be very wary of. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad because I don't think we all have to be the same thing. You know, nothing drives me more crazy than Christians who mistake the absence of conflict for peace. That drives me nuts, right? It's not, it's not peace just because two people aren't arguing, right? Christianity, when, when, when we are offered by Scripture this image of the wolf and the lamb, Christians aren't aching for the day that we could all be something in the middle, a wham. It's okay to be different. The, the, the testimony that we want and that we need is that we can reach across these aisles and find good reasons to talk and be together, respect and revere the other, but the Reformation was at times literally bloody, bloody. Christianity can still be bloody if we're not careful. Let me tell you when Christianity gets bloody, it gets bloody when it's too small. When our focus is too narrow and too small, we Christians have this strange tendency to obsess about our stuff and our issues, and that's the moment at which we take our, our beliefs, wherever we can find them, we roll them up, 
And we use them as weapons. And I think, actually, I'm going to kind of start with the last six verses before I move back and tackle the first few. But when Jesus says what he does, when Jesus sort of, he, Jesus has these guys surrounded. I mean, he, he is really working these folks over. And especially with this question when he says, hey, who is, who is, this, who is this person that David is talking about? When, when your hero David, and it was Jesus' hero too, when your hero King David is talking about this Messiah, this Lord, who is he talking about? And I think in the course of this conversation, what Jesus is able to identify is that there is a difference between the kingdom and the breadth and the width of the kingdom that these Pharisees want to establish or reestablish in that they are so bent to reestablish the kingdom of David, the lineage of David, to put us and our people back on our rightful thrones. Jesus is drawing a distinction between their desire, and by the way, sometimes you can still catch a whiff of that amongst Christians. We want our people to always be in charge of all the people. So that was the Pharisees' dream and desire to somehow reestablish this community that, that has these very hard boundaries that have to do with purity. Yes, purity will be the, the, the line of demarcation and we'll be able to finally decide and determine who is out and who is in because all of these people, in keeping with the kingdom of David, all of these people will demonstrate themselves as being out or in. And Jesus says, man, you guys think too small. Your vision for this kingdom is too small. Even as you access your hero, David, recognize that David recognizes that someone coming after him that he will call Lord and Messiah, recognize that David has in mind that whatever's coming next will be bigger than us. Hey, church, are you okay? <laughs> if God wants to expand your vision of what faith and Christianity should be. Okay, now be careful, be careful, because what I'm asking you is this. Are you willing, are you willing that God would, through you, through us, and this is where it gets tough now, are you willing that God would, through you, through me, through us, love people that you currently dislike? You know who I'm talking about, those people who watch that other channel that you don't watch at your house. <laughs> those people who, given an opportunity, will exercise their freedom and vote for an idiot. That's who we're talking about. Those folks, when these state questions come around, vote poorly, according to you. Are you willing, are you willing for God to expand your imagination of what it means to be the people of God such that it includes the people who drive you crazy. Not nearly as many amens there. Aaron's saying yes, so me and Aaron, we're gonna. We say this a lot, a lot around here. Yeah, love your enemies, but because we're so nice, we don't often have people that we clearly put in the enemy category, we say, love your enemies and your opposites, but we heard another one this week, which I really like. Love your enemies, your opposites, and your irritants. <laughs> Why? Why? Why is it so important that we love our enemies and our opposites and our irritants? 
Because, listen, listen, that's who God is. That's who God is. (laughs) And we are wasting our time and our energy and all of that frustration that happens on Sunday morning. And if you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) I got an amen there. (laughs) But we're wasting all of that if we don't understand ourselves as a reflection of the God who loves the people I find hard to tolerate. Jesus is a threat to these Pharisees, has just been a threat to the Sadducees. Jesus is a threat to the system. Honestly, here's why. Because Christ's vision of what it is that God wants to do in the world is so far beyond their vision of what they want God to do in the world that they are threatened by it. And they are threatened by it because they're thinking to themselves, wait a minute, if God loves everybody, then how are we special? So let me ask you again. Are you willing (laughs) to be the people of God who reflect God and reflect God's love for the people who irritate you. Because, to give away the end, that's what it means to be the people of God. If churches are just going to kind of separate into like kinds of categories, if you're only going to be around the people as Christians, and this is happening a lot, watch this, if you're only going to be around the people who share your fill-in-the-blank, your attitudes, your opinions, your, your entertainment choices, if you're only gonna be around those people, if somehow Christianity for you has become the means of insulation and isolation, hear me, I love you desperately, but it's not Christianity. It's a cult, but it's not Christianity. Christianity happens outside of your borders. Man. Because God doesn't have the borders that you have. I should stop, but I'm not going to. So the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, I guess I still want to preach out of Revelation all the time. So the book of Matthew, written 10 to 20 years after the destruction of the temple, they are asking this very important question, wow, now what do we do and what does it mean to be the people of God? But again, we said this last week, it's also written after the resurrection of Jesus the Christ, which changes everything creation-wide. And so they're asking even a better question. They're saying, okay, what do we do now? What does it look like to live this life in the light of the resurrection. If love has in fact conquered, and by the way, that's what the cross communicates because the cross always comes with the resurrection. And so the cross and the resurrection demonstrate for us all the time if we're paying attention that love wins, love wins, love wins. So what does faith look like when we're always in the process of furthering this message, embodying this message, and pushing the boundaries of this kingdom all the way out where God wants them? What does it look like? So these people who weren't necessarily on board just yet come to Jesus, and one of them, a lawyer, and everybody knows what we think about lawyers. Sorry, Tina, I was just kidding. That was for you. All right. What well, here, what this means is an expert in the law an expert in the Torah, someone who knows the ramifications of these Old Testament books. Teacher, 
Which of the commandments, and perhaps he's talking about the Ten Commandments, which of these is the greatest? This is a trap, he even says. It was a question asked to test him. This is a trap because if, if somehow Jesus answers in a way that indicates that he believes that one of these commandments supersedes all of the rest, then the law is no longer perfect because there are some inferior parts to it, and then they can brand him as a religious heretic and finally do to him what they really want to do to him, which they will ultimately do to him. So, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus, so artful, answers by not answering the question that he asked. He actually says this, okay, here is the most important commandment. It's not one of the 10. It's actually broader and deeper than that. This is actually borrowed from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. A a fundamental, a core principle, a core practice, a core belief. Here's what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the greatest and first commandment. Yeah, this is actually borrowed from Deuteronomy chapter six. The people of God are sort of recently the people of God, and so God is organizing them, and he's saying to them, here's how you will be the people who put skin and flesh on what it is I'm trying to do out there in the world. Here's what you need to know, and this is central. There is no more central belief than this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, one God, one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. If I were to keep reading, it says this. Keep these words, says God. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, never be away from this thought. Never let there be any distance between wherever you are and wherever you see that I am, says God. You are to be my people all the time, no matter where you are, no matter where you are, even at church, be my people. Even at work, be my people. Even in the military, be my people. Even at the hospital, even in the classroom, be my people. Everywhere you are, even when you drive, John. (laughs) Lordy, be my people. Be my people, be my people. One of my uh, favorite theologians wrote a book not too long ago about this, and he says, whatever else the Shema might mean, it does not allow for a nominal attachment to Yahweh above other deities. Oh, this is tough. But lays claim to total fidelity and surrender to Yahweh, who is undivided, whole, and absolute, the totality of Israel's commitment is motivated by her God's absolute uniqueness. Because God is unique, we are unique in every moment. Thank you, Dr. Green. This is from Dr. Green's uh, commentary on Deuteronomy, which is really good. It's not light reading, but it's good reading. And so Jesus says to them, which of the commandments, how about this? 
Everything you are, everything we are as the people of God should reflect that we love this one who calls us to love, who, by the way, is the essence of love. Is the essence of love. And now things get a little challenging. Because so far, I think we can all high five, right? I could actually stop and we can all go home going, we have been to church today. The pastor told us what we already knew, that we should love the God who loves us and that love should be our currency, that love should be the air. In our, yes, and all of that's true. But actually, Jesus now throws a wrench into everything, at least as far as they're concerned, and perhaps should be throwing a wrench into everything that we believe when Jesus says this. And, 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 because I'm sure they're all gathered up and ready to walk away. But as they walk away, Jesus says, hey, there's more. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't that they didn't know that this was in the Bible. This is in Leviticus 19. And here's the paragraph, and, it's, and forgive me, it's a little bit longer, but hear this. You shall not render, says God again, to the people he's trying to organize to embody God. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. In other words, because I am who I am, don't do those things. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. Coming up on Thanksgiving, remember that one. <laughs> you shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance. Oh, people hear this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But the radical part is this. Jesus says that first little bit there, and the second is like it. In other words, and here is something that is as important as this one. Jesus elevates this line. Sure, it was in Scripture, but does it carry the weight of the Shema? It does to Jesus. Whoa. Hear, hear this. There is some indication here. <laughs> there is some indication here that if you don't love your enemies, your opposites, or your irritants, you don't love God. John, my irritants are incredibly irritating. <laughs> and my opposites are oppositional. And my enemies are just mean. Does everybody remember that, that we are meant as, as people who are aligned and identified with the people of God? Does everybody remember, those of us who have been baptized and those of you who should be baptized, and by the way, we would like to baptize you. Do all of us who are in the category of the baptized remember that what we're after is not just the saving of your soul for eternity? That's great, that's great. It's bigger than that, y'all. 
What God has in mind is the reclaiming and the restoration of all creation. And God is pleased to do that in and through and with you. But if God is going to do that in and through and with you, you need to figure out a way to love somebody beyond the people who just love you and agree with you and look like you. The second is like it? Are you kidding me? It's almost like Jesus, when asked the question, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He says, yes, okay, the greatest commandment is these two. One that fleshes out the other. One that is not understood without the other. One that is not completed without the other. I've said it to you before, I should probably say it maybe more than once a week, to be Christian in the way that Christ is talking about Christianity, to be Christian like that is a very odd way to be alive, even amongst Christians. It's a very odd way to be alive. And yet, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Nothing we say as pastors, teachers, Christians, nothing we say is true if in saying it we violate love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I, I, I want you to hear that again because we Christians, pastors and teachers and preachers say a lot of words. But hear this, no matter if it's me speaking or Jason speaking, no matter if it's Tamara speaking, no matter, no matter who it is, here or anywhere else, if what we say does not carry and assume the truth of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We are not speaking the truth. I'm willing to be held to that. I, I know all, of, all of, on our staff are willing to be held to that high standard. What we say, no matter where we find it in Scripture, what we say must continue to carry that message, yes, to the people in the pews, but also through the people in the pews to everywhere else in God's creation. We have to always be communicating, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we don't, we are not speaking Christian truth. So what I'm saying is, yes, I'm saying a lot of folks who are dressed up and wearing ties today are not telling the truth. How do you know, John? That seems awfully judgmental. Well, because I think I've been that guy before. I think I've been that guy before who has found a soapbox. You ever, you ever seen a pastor on a soapbox? It's disgusting. <laughs> Sometimes pastors find soapboxes. And what I'm telling you is, whether it's me or anybody else who's found a soapbox, if the soapbox, if the soapbox isn't constructed <laughs> with love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, it's not Christian truth.
Well, happy Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day. I, we have mentioned it a couple of times. Um, there is an event today. Now, it's a busy day. And like board members, you're going to be worn out by the end of this day. I promise. <laughs> but there is this incredible event today at Epiphany Church, Catholic Church, Catholic Church. And at 4 o'clock today, there's going to be a 70-person choir, including five of the voices from Oklahoma City First Church. This is a... <laughs> This is, a, this is an incredible thing. There will be a choir today that will feature voices from the Catholic Church, from the Lutheran Church, from the Presbyterian Church, and from the Church of the Nazarene. It's weird. I don't think so, really? Okay, okay, all right. And I'm told Baptist voices as well, okay. Here's why it's odd. Here's why it's odd. Because a group of people, 70 folks, are going to fill a choir loft, and we're not going to ask that they all believe the same thing and bleed into something in the middle. In fact, what we're going to do is celebrate that there is a breadth, there is a diversity to our Christian heritage, but we're not going to allow that to sort of disintegrate into hatred and a lack of collaboration. We are going to sing together, and I'm telling you, that is strange Christianity. But today, in front of our eyes and ears, <laughs> at four o'clock at a Catholic church, the Lutherans are going to sing with the Catholics and anybody else that shows up. Because that's the dream. In a small way, I understand it. But that's the dream. That there would be a love that originates the heart of God who does choose us. It's remarkable. That there would be a love that would originate with God and then sweep us all into God's self and then enable us to love as God loves our enemies and our opposites and our irritants even before they change to look like us. Whoa. Have you ever tried to love a lamb when you're the wolf? Have you ever tried to love the wolf when you're the lamb? I know. Everybody thinks they're the lamb. I know. But don't you think about this. In your concrete, tangible life, Have you ever genuinely tried, perhaps understood in a moment that you were in fact the victim, the vulnerable, the lamb? Have you ever tried to love the wolf? Maybe you are just self-reflective enough to recognize that you have in fact taken on the posture of the wolf In that moment, do you, do I, do we have it within us to check ourselves and to love 
the Lamb. Again, the greatest Christian hope is not that we would all become something in the middle. It's not. The greatest hope is that we'd figure out a way to sing together, be together, lunch together, work, serve together, while being different. I have a few folks in my life right now who are saying, I'm so tired of this us and them. I'm not, here's why, this is our message. Here's why I'm not, here's why I'm not. Because if, at, if for some reason, somebody ends up in the enemy category, <laughs> if someone ends up in the opposite category, if someone ends up in the irritant category, now I know what to do. We love. We love. It's not that I refuse to, in my spirituality, see the differences. It's because in my Christianity, I acknowledge the differences and still extend myself as God does in love. Make some sense? It sounds exhausting, doesn't it? You're going to need this. This is where we find the resource to continually extend ourselves as God extends God's self to us continually. This was not easy for God. You are aware that this is broken body and shed blood. And yet, you're always invited. And so if you're helping us, if you would go ahead and come and set this table for us. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And bless us, Lord, as we receive them. Grow us, move us, improve us. Help us to be more than we would have been otherwise. May we be funded and fueled by these symbols of broken body and shed blood, these symbols of a relationship damaged and yet forgiven. May we find something here just good enough and just strong enough to allow us to love the wolves when we're the lambs and to love the lambs when we're the wolves, to love our enemies, our opposites, our irritants. In other words, Lord, in other words, may our vision for faith and Christianity and your kingdom, may our vision for all of it be as big as yours. If you are visiting with us, this may seem a, a little odd. I hope not, but it might. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive, to receive this gift of grace. By the way, if you don't want to participate, you are not compelled to participate. You are free, absolutely free to not participate. Those who are willing, if you would exit your pew to the left, Come forward with your hands cup to receive these gifts of bread and cup. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece of that bread, snap it off, and place it into your hands saying, this is the body of Christ broken, broken for you. Don't eat it just yet. Take it and dip it into the cup. Someone standing nearby will be holding a cup. 
When you dip it into that cup, that person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Can you remember that, Zach? Blood of Christ shed for you. Okay, good. I'll be here to help you if you need it, okay? (laughs) Blood of Christ shed for you. And then, and then, take and eat. And then, find a place to pray. Because it's possible, in the course of a sermon, you've already seen a name or a face. This is my wolf. This is my lamb. This is my enemy. This is my opposite. This is my irritant. This is the family member I dread seeing at Thanksgiving. And may you here find the resources of God to enable peace and love to set the tone. Set the tone. After after you have taken, if you'll find a place to pray, if you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing. And someone will meet you there, anoint you, pray that prayer for healing, physical, mental, emotional, relational healing. All kinds of prayers are prayed at those side padded altars. If you come to one of these kneeling benches here, these mourner's benches, we won't assume anything, but we will at some point come and pray with you. Someone will touch you on the back, the head, the neck, just to let you know that you aren't and will never be alone. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie are really good at this. They will come to you. Who is welcome to come to this table? Anyone and everyone who understands their need for grace. That's all it takes. You're qualified. If you understand your need for grace, you're welcome here. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it remember me the same way later he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said and this is my blood the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it remember me and if after taking and perhaps after praying if you want to come and remember that you are amongst the baptized just dip your fingers here in this bowl and remember that you are still claimed All across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left. Come forward with your hands cup to receive the gifts of God meant for the people of God.
give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will love you. I will love you, Lord, my shield, and I will love you, Lord, my rock, forever, all my days, I will love you, There are days when we kind of understand where the Pharisees are coming from. The vision, the image is a little small. Frankly, Lord, when we're honest, there are times when Christ is quite the threat (laughs) 
to our live status quo. Quite the threat. I guess, Lord, we're, we're praying a prayer that goes something like this. God, continue to threaten us with Christ. Not in a way that somehow frightens us, but in a way that certainly challenges us. In a way that finds us out, that discloses, that brings into the light how it is that we are not quite yet who you desire for us to be when we compare ourselves to this one. We confess that we're not quite there. We confess that we need you. And we are grateful that you'll have us and that we have you. Hear us, God, as we pray now for one another. As we move to these moments of prayers of intercession, would you tune your hearts and your ears and your prayers to those in your life who need a specific healing touch from God? I'm going to mention a few names now. Would you pray along with me? And Father, we are so grateful that Debbie McKenzie is here with us at church and not in a hospital room. Lord, would you heal her body and give her strength? Lord, we're grateful for the week that LaDonna Bennett had and ask that God, you'd continue to heal her. We ask God, you would heal her of the cancer in her brain and give her a bright hope and future. Lord, we ask that you would continue to be with John Vogt. Lord, able to speak a few words yesterday for the first time in many days. Now she'd be with Christine as she loves and cares for her father. Lord, I ask you to be with Faith Sinclair, able to be with us this morning, and ask you to continue to heal her body, Lord, and give her hope and joy and her smile in our lives. Lord, I ask that you would be with the little one in Gibson, Henry, this little boy who broke his arm and has surgery this week. Lord, I ask you would come alongside that family, and especially Gibson, and you would heal him and renew him and be with his fears in this coming week. Lord, I ask that you would be with those who need you in a special way. There's people who've come into the sanctuary this morning, this morning with a heavy heart. I think of some people who come in unemployed in a difficult time in their life. I think of some people who are wrestling with a loved one who is a prodigal or a loved one who is missing. Think of those who've come into this place with a heavy heart for all of the problems in our city, in our state, in our neighborhood. And Lord, we pray for all three. That God, you would use us in the restoration of this neighborhood. And what we can do by loving others, even our enemies, our opposites, and our irritants, to change the world. And so, Lord, would you use us to be a people who believe this prayer and live into this prayer. And together this morning, church, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer using debts and debtors. If you're unfamiliar with this prayer, it'll be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever.